are in the Grotto Pod. I am in the Grotto Pod. Bridget Quinn is in the Grotto Pod. I'm We're over all here. in the Grotto Pod together uh, this week. We, Reruns. Uh, actually, you know, we just lied. Neither of us is in the Grotto Pod right now. I am in Seattle, Washington. I don't know where you are right now. Um, I am in, oh, I am in upstate New York at, oh, okay. at the Chautauqua Institute. There you go. So we have a little treat for you today. Uh, we are going to replay. <laughs> that was my computer. We're going to replay an earlier interview we did with the poet, Matthew Zapruder. You know... Has anyone ever described you as the writer, Bridget Quinn, with the mm, V? That sort of I don't think so. New Yorker esque V that was described so. as the me neither. But Matthew, he's hitting the big time. Well, he's already in the big time completely because he was the poetry editor for oh, the, the New, New York, York Times. Times. Oh, yes. Jinx, Jinx, and Only he just had an op ed in the New York Times. Well, it will be last month by Correct. the time this comes out. That created quite a kerfuffle. His a, words. A poetry kerfuffle. A poetry kerfuffle. I love that. Poetry smackdown. And, and the thing about his poetry kerfuffle is that sometimes Matthew uh, has some controversial views about poetry, which I happen to like, which he outlines in his book, Why Poetry, which... Comes out August 15th, which is today. today. Ta-da! So it's a full circle thing here. We figured uh, not only was the interview with Matthew good enough to bear to warrant a second playing, Oh, for sure. Especially the part where he and BQ make a plan to get tattoos together. Did you do that on the interview or was that afterwards? I think It was on air. Like, it's on air. On air I'm baby. pretty sure. Yeah. So, Matthew, if you're listening again, because mm-hmm. I'm sure he listened the first time. I hope so. Yeah. I will be ready because I couldn't do it until after my Iron Man. Let me ask you something about mm-hmm. that. Is it true that when you get a tattoo for a certain time afterwards, you cannot submerge it in water? Right. That's why I can't. I couldn't do it until after okay. my Iron Man, which I've now said twice, because I had to... you that it's an Iron Man? It doesn't, actually. Can you just be an Iron person? Iron person. You know why I can't? Same... Well, also, it's a, it's a, it's an actual company. It's a trademark thing. Oh, it's not, it's a, I see. It's a thing. So, um, do they play the song Iron Man? By I don't know. I've never Black been Sabbath? to one. Okay. I'm excited. I mean, I've been done many triathlons, but right. not this like Anyway, the point is I had to swim a lot, so I couldn't get a tattoo, but after July 29th, I'm tattoo ready. can go get perhaps anti-poetry tattoos. I wouldn't say I would be quite remiss to say that Matthew Zapruder is anti-poetry. In fact, I think he might possess an understanding of poetry on a plane so so far above that of us mere mortals that we should just sit at his feet and listen to what he says. Absolutely. Or read his book. What was it that he said? I I want to call it up. He quotes someone, uh, clarity is a mystery. Clarity is a mystery. Yeah, I may have have misquoted that. You better just read Matthew's op-ed in the New York Times. And learn why poetry does not have to be difficult. Or obfuscating. That poetry can be accessible to all. And just wonderful. Love it. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's simple. Can be challenging. Doesn't mean it's not mysterious. Can be all those things. But you should be able to read poetry, and that's why Matthew's here, to I provide know. not only poetry for you to read, but a book about poetry for you to read. That comes out today. You are so lucky. So and here it is. Give, give a listen. We don't even have to go get him. Nope. He's already been here. <laughs> so give a listen. It was a great episode, uh, and we'll listen to it again, too. Yeah. Oh, definitely. All right. Till next time. Uh, Matthew Zapruder, welcome to the Grotto Pod. Glad to be here. Good to have you. Um, this is the first time that we've had this sort of configuration where you're both actually looking at me. I'm staring at you. I know. 
It's a I little... can't move my head and look anywhere else. <laughs> it's a little unsettling. Like a little Matthew, bit. thank you for confirming the size. People think we go on with a little too much length about this. But yep. honestly, if yep. you spent hours a week in here, you would maybe also feel it's very small. It's, yeah. hard, it's hard to ignore that element. I'll get used to it. It's it's not. I mean, it's it's cozy. It's cozy. You know, I'm it sure has high people. ceilings. <laughs> so it looks larger. It's like a Manhattan apartment. <laughs> it's got high ceilings, ceilings though. <laughs> it, is, it is like a Manhattan apartment. And listeners, let me uh, warn you first that what we have here is a collection of three people in the midst of allergy season. So if there are various throat clearings, coughings, I hope not sneezings, because that would involve particles flying at very high speeds. Uh, don't That's say why you have these spit screens. Don't say you weren't warned, uh, Matthew. Ooh, so. I don't know if we if we briefed you, but we do about a 10-minute intro before you get here. So we went down all your bona fides, got your published works, uh, got your band. I listened to some uh, videos before play? we came here. Do you still play? Um, not recently so much because of the I have a kid. So oh, I haven't been able to connect with the, with the guys. They're it. back east. But um, we are on a hiatus. We all, we all had kids right around the same time, actually. That's so, awesome because yeah. soon you can all go on tour together. Yeah. We could do like a With national your kids, park like tour. Jeff Tweedy. That would be really exactly. cool. That would be the best. That would be great. Yeah. That, we that, could open for yeah. them. Or we could leave the kids at home. That would be really great. And go on tour. I highly recommend that. <laughs> you could. You have little kids, right? I have one two and a half year old. Oh, my. Yeah, you're in it. <sighs> that yeah. blows me away when people like you. Brand new book. Why poetry? Two and a half year old child. Tell me right now how. How do you find the time? How do you find uh, the, the privacy? Energy. The awakeness. Well, I have a patient spouse. Mm, this is great. the way. Uh, I don't know because I also, when I was working on the book in earnest, I started working on the book. As, I was also starting a full-time teaching job at the same time. But I, I know. And I don't really know actually how it all worked out. <laughs> I really don't. I think I just worked all the time mm-hmm. on whatever was immediately necessary <clears throat> to work on. So I think I pretty much just worked constantly. Well, I can't speak as the the er writer, but I've found that the more excited you are about something or the better you feel about it, the easier it is to work on. Mm-hmm. And you'll find the time. I mean, if you're slogging through something, it'll be easy to not work on it. Yeah, I became kind of obsessed with this book, actually, writing it. It became this thing I thought about all the time. And even when I wasn't sitting down typing or taking notes, I, I was thinking about it and just thinking about it. And, you know, when I laid down to go to sleep and when I woke up in the morning and it's I just, you know, that way. feeling, yep. you know, that feeling when you're just mm-hmm. processing and it's kind of almost the writing starts to happen all the time. And it's not even necessarily totally about. I love keyboard. that. Yeah, it was kind of um, I felt a little insane because I just thought about it all the time. And then I would finish a draft, and it would ease up for a little while, and then it would start again when I realized I wasn't happy with the draft. And so I think all writers have been have had some version of that <clears throat> cycle of just coming back again and again. To so maybe that. it's better to work on this when your child is this small; they don't remember you being crazy. <laughs> I think when you have a kid that age, <clears throat> your life is so effed. Yeah, it's, <laughs> well it's sort of in a way it was kind of like I mean, beautifully effed. Oh, it's but the I best. Mean, but but you know you know what I'm talking and about. It's, so so just it's not like it's very like Blake, yeah. heaven and hell. <laughs> Blake, bleak. I have to say, <laughs> my my child is now a sophomore in college, and when he left for school, I didn't miss ages 14 through 17. I missed ages zero through five. Yeah, so I mean, you, I love I love it. I, I love. I mean, I can't stop playing 
around and hanging around with my kid. It's the best. But it it's is just, the best. But, you know, I mean, yeah, and I wrote poems when he was born. Uh, he would be on my lap and I would just be writing. And it just, I don't know, I think I was awesome. just in this mode where every minute just seemed so insanely precious to me that I would just be needed to be do uh, need to be doing something. I mean, you know, that's I the upside, I think. Yeah. Before you have kids, you can waste eight hours easily, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, reading some poetry and thinking about stuff and writing a sentence. And after you have kids, you just have to get your work done. You got to bang it out. Yeah. But eventually you can go back to wasting all that time. I again. look forward to it. I'm here to tell you that. I that's true. Um, <clears throat> I want to dive into the book. But actually, first I wanted to ask you a question that just occurred to me. Uh, how has your poetry changed since you became a father, if at all? Um, it's a little hard to say because usually when something happens and I do some writing, it takes a little time for that experience to process through the work. Um, I don't know if that makes sense, but, you know, uh, when a big thing happens to me, I just I will write and write and write or try to get at it. And then it might be a year or two after until it kind of metabolizes through hmm. my imagination. And so I kind of feel like maybe more now than a year or so ago, uh, my kid is starting to enter into the poems and my fatherhood in general. I'm just starting to see that, I think. So probably in the next book, eventually when it gets finished, that'll be a part of it in some kind of way. But it takes it's it's it 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 really is almost like this physiological process where it has to metabolize through the imagination and become because I'm not I don't write mem, I, mean, I don't write my poems aren't memoirs mm-hmm. they're not just purely autobiographical. So I so I need the the, the experiences need to process and change in, in an organic way and become authentically symbolic. I guess. Yeah, I don't know if I was actually talking about. Pure autobiographical, just more how your worldview changes. Well, I was really scared before, but now before I'm you had kids, terrified. yes, exactly. I mean, I was sort of as scared as your average like neurotic yes. Jew, you know, would be about just sort of being alive. But I also had this bravado, um, you know, kind of kind of devil may care, right? You right. can't, you what's can't it, be that it, way. It, 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 it's hey, you know, it's life or whatever. And yeah. then you know, then yeah. having a kid, as you all know, again, I mean, now I'm just, I mean, it's it's insane the intensity of the worry and <clears throat> yeah. fear. So 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 I just am probably <clears throat> trying to keep that from becoming too intense in a way, so I can protect some space of, of, of imagining and being free and thinking through things because if you start to really think about your kid in the future, I know. it's just... I mean, everybody... And, you know, one thing I think <laughs> is interesting, I mean, this isn't really about poetry or anything, but I thought after I had a child, I thought maybe the hidden secret of motivations of so many things we don't understand or why people behave the way they do simply has to do with fear about what's going to happen to their kids. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know, you know <laughs> like, like maybe that's... Maybe like that's, that's what that's keeps the, you... No, but that, well, maybe that's and, the yes. thing that makes people do crazy stuff or, or, or things that you can't understand or, they, or behave with immense cruelty or, or selfishness or whatever. I mean, there are ways now that I can imagine behaving that I never would have thought about behaving Same. by a child. I really I'm not understood. saying I would actually do it, but I'm saying I can now understand yeah, why somebody completely. would. Completely. Because would, when it's just you, no matter what, it ends with you. But I really understood my father better. Yeah. His maniacalness. Mm-hmm. You know, he had nine kids. Oh, boy. And... I, now I get like that would make you constantly afraid yeah. and crazy. Yeah, and that, it did. That really would be like living just in a completely exposed way. Right. I mean, and, one is is enough. And to try and manage <laughs> the world so that nothing's going to screw with your kids, which is impossible, is impossible. The one thing uh, 
I just thought of is um, not just how it affects your work, but also, you know, to manage that fear of life, the world, that burden so that your kid doesn't feel it mm-hmm. is That's... a really important thing, too. And it's it takes a lot of psychic and emotional energy to do that. Right. Containment. Yeah. Indeed, it does. All those feelings. But, yeah. So, anyway, I don't, but back to your original question to me as far as working. I mean, I... I think I just clicked into this intense mode where I was working all the time. And the prose, the rhythm of writing prose and the rhythm of writing poetry is so different for me. I mean, I didn't, I had never, I had written essays and things like that before, shorter pieces, a few thousand words. But it was nothing like this. And just the grinding intensity of it, the way you have to just sit down and work for four, five, six, seven hours straight, um... And day after day after day coming back to it. And if you don't do that, it's just not going to happen. That was that was because, I mean, the thing for me is I'm a pretty distractible person. I, I I'm easily distracted and I and I, you know, will pick my head up and walk around or go pick up a book and put it down or whatever when I'm writing. And that's actually good for poetry. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's good to maintain that kind of lightness in relation to what you're actually what's actually in front of you on the page or and on the screen. And kind of openness to what's going on yeah, around you. Yeah, because I think that your associative mind is 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 the is that's the part of your mind you're trying to tap into when you're writing poems. So And that's something it, I really like in your poetry, how mm-hmm. these allusions and associative things come into the poem right. as it's unfolding. Yeah, really that's nice. one of the great pleasures of writing poetry and I think also reading it. So so it's good in a way to have that oh, I'm going to go to a coffee shop and just sort of right. work for a little bit and then listen to someone's conversation and maybe pick up the newspaper and because anything might you might just see out of the corner of your which, eyes something that belongs in the home. Which, as a prose writer, is exactly why I don't go to coffee right. shops. So I, I had do to. That. So I had to train myself out of that behavior when I was writing prose. I could. You cannot write mm-hmm. a serious book length work of prose and 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 behave that way because you're just never. You'll never push through. Yeah. I mean, so I, I it was very hard. <laughs> Physically, it was hard for me. I just wasn't used to the stamina that prose writers have of just sitting and working. You know, it's hard. Uh, okay, so the the book is called Why Poetry, but my question is, what compelled you to write a book of prose then about mm-hmm. poetry after four successful poetry books? Why um, this book? Well, I talk about this in the introduction. Some I just when you when you do when you're a poet, you run into people all the time who have basic questions about poetry they or resistance to it or right. they just don't they say they don't like everybody's it everybody's got an idea about it yeah and i understand and, and so i think a lot of poets reaction to that is to kind of i don't want to say dismiss it but maybe just chalk it up to just some kind of ineffable philistines mm-hmm. yeah not maybe not quite that bad but sort of like sort of like look i mean that's just the way it is like people feel right. that way about mm-hmm. poetry or whatever but I started to get this feeling, well, what would happen if you took those questions that people were asking or their objections really seriously and try to look at what what were people really asking and what were they really struggling with in poems and why do people feel that way and what was it all about? And so I sort of t- got interested in this idea that I could maybe, you know, in a way like just face face those questions and well, really try to answer them, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah. Completely. Well, and it I seems like... Completely. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, because that, that's what I'm yeah, trying to fact, do. <laughs> yeah, in fact, we've been talking a lot about the parallels between your two books and how you both take... Uh, I can't think of... I was almost going to say gnarly, like really... Well, I think they can be, a lot of they can be kinda, off-putting subjects. Right. People keep at arm's length and really try to demystify them. And it seems pretty important to you in this book to not only demystify 
I don't want to say make accessible, but kind of explain in a way that isn't off-putting. Yeah, absolutely. To kind of get through that part. Well, I had a kind of, um, and then by the way, I want to say that when I was listening to BQ, your, the, the podcast you did with BQ, I was thinking to myself the whole time, wow, that really does sound like we had the same, when very I read your, similar impulse. When I read your introduction, it's not just the impulse for the book. Our, our experience was very yeah. much the same in being in a graduate program, about to start a right. PhD, mm-hmm. deciding to leave for writing. Goes on. Light goes on. Let me ask yeah. you both then, <clears throat> since you come at this from sort of a similar place, uh, and since you're both looking at me. Um, <laughs> Directly at you. And wearing glasses. So where did this, imp- did this impulse come from a positive place or did this impulse come from, look, I'm sick and tired of this. Someone needs to set the record straight. I don't know. Why you are go. you looking at me? Uh, I just thought. <laughs> well, I want to say one thing before I answer like that. You're is a that, team there for a second. <laughs> um, Matthew's Twitter icon is a painting by Kazimir Malevich. And I've never known why that was. And after reading it's your. It's going to be my next tattoo. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Mine's going to be yeah. a Vanessa Bell Lighthouse from okay, that's Virginia good. Wolf's book. Okay, oh, let's go together. We should. Yeah. Oh, dude, okay. don't say great. things like I'll that do it. on I'll air. Do it. I know exactly where I'm going to get it. All right. I, we're shaking. We're shaking. This is great radio. Oh, my They're God. I'm so excited. <laughs> great radio. Um, okay, I just want to say that um, was it turning away? No, it was this passionate engagement with art that made me realize I wanted to be an artist, and that was why I loved art history. Not because of formalism, not because of connoisseurship, not because of reception theory, not because of Foucault, but because I loved paint Mm. and whatever that means. I wanted to make something in the world, and Mm. that's why I – so it had to start there, and it was the people I was studying is what gave me the bravery, I guess, to take the leap. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think I had multiple impulses. I mean, I will admit that a little bit of it was probably that sort of kind of annoyed or like frustrate frustration with a certain kind of well, because question. when you choose this as a career, I mean, you kind of know what's coming that you're going to spend your whole life people going. Oh, you're a poet. Well, that's right. I mean, it's, it's sort Instead of, of like... Instead of a PhD in Russian studies, right. which sounds yeah, yeah. so, like, cool. Well, yeah. not to my parents, it didn't. But, <laughs> but, the, uh, but, but poets but, um, sounded better. Yeah. Uh, well, by then, they'd just given up. <laughs> but the... Um, no, I think it, it's sort of, you know, it's the equivalent of you're tall. It's sort of, how's the weather up there? Exactly. Like that, yeah. that, you know, poetry, like, oh, how do you make a living? I mean, the, the jokes yeah, I yeah, hear, yeah, yeah. like... Yeah. I always want to say to people, it's like, you got to do better than that. You got to do better <laughs> than, on, like, the poor poet who can't make right. a living joke. That's just like not yeah. funny enough. Which I think is ironic because I remember when I was in grad school, you could tell the poets because they were dressed better than us. <laughs> well, I'm, oh. I, I would let you down in that department. But, <laughs> but I, uh, no, I mean, I, I will say that the poets I know are very resourceful about making a living. I'll say that. I mean, I remember in the financial crisis going back for my, um, to my college reunion and all my friends who were in finance and uh, you know, or lawyers or whatever, they were all freaking out. And I was like, I'm oh. fine. You're I, like I, dancing. I, I still don't have a job. <laughs> like, no, I mean, I have, you know, I teach. I, I'm, or, yeah. or I freelance write or I, yeah. I do, you know, whatever. So, but but that being said, I mean, I think more the, 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 the bulk of the impulse was positive. I think it was this enthusiasm or this sort of, I just got this feeling. I was like, maybe I can explain this. Maybe I can finally explain this. And, of course, you know, it's impossible to fully explain it. And I don't, I don't also think of it as being so much demystifying as, like, in a way, like, bringing the, the, the mystery, 
the true mystery of poetry forward. I think yes, that I love the, the, that you the, say the, that. The, 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 there's, you all know when poetry is taught in school, I mean, this is, I talk about this in the book, of course, but there's mm-hmm. so much ridiculous stuff that's said about it and people, you know, asking you to figure out what it really means and its themes and what it's really about. Also, it's, and it's not only is that just a miserable experience generally, it is. but That's it's what also I... not even what poems are for, what they do. I loved when you said, you know, um, you know grass is grass. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> it took me years as a writer to get out of the art historical tick of always looking for the metaphor right. and always looking for the symbol and to just be with the thing itself. Right. And it's so satisfying, and I love that part of your book. I think that's a real gem of truth. And just to, just to follow up on that, I mean, I think that we would all agree with any form of art, you know, you it, it can become, of course, metaphorical or allegorical or symbolic or whatever you want to say after you've sort of had your initial encounter with it. Mm-hmm. If, you, if you don't even have the patience to have that first encounter with it, I mean, it'd be like if you if, it'd be like if somebody asked you to. Uh, explain what a piece of music is about, and you didn't even—they didn't even play you the piece of music or something. You know? exactly. it's not, I mean, exactly. that's sort of what poetry is like. For I, when I teach poems, I, I ask my students to tell me what's in the poem or what's happening or what's going on or whatever. And it's like for them, they can't even say the simplest thing, and they immediately want to go to some super complicated explanation. And that's I how think I was. That's if you don't—if that's where your ori- orientation is towards poems, you will never—you will never. Have I mean, any that's experience what them. makes that. Uh, Musée de Beaux-Arts poem by Auden so beautiful is really understanding that it's that Icarus is happening right now yeah. and when you can get to that that's like the mystery of life man that's <laughs> <laughs> right. well and I have to say too um, as a poetry Luddite but having taken poetry classes no one starts by saying just read the poem oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and just start there it's yeah. usually either, you know, it's it's one end of the Dead Poet Society spectrum. It's either, you know, the stuffy guy with the measuring the meter or it's the, you know, guy right. in the field screaming at the sunlight. Right. And that's just another kind of mystification, that, that sort of performative. It's kind of poetic, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I know what you mean. That's also a temptation, too, when you teach poetry to sort of use its use its difficulty to sort of exalt yourself. I mean, I've seen teachers do that before. And Now, I always start by when I teach more or less when I teach the first thing I say, whether it's a undergraduates or graduate students or or a um, or poetry workshop, you know, whatever I say, what do you see? What do you see? You know, and, they, and everybody always wants to jump in. No, what do you see? What's let's mm-hmm. let's. And then sometimes I need to even say, well, let's talk about the title. What's it? What's it saying? What, mm-hmm. what are the words? And, I, and it's very hard to back people down to just being talking very simply about it. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, once they do and they start just asking the simplest questions, it becomes incredibly interesting immediately. It's fascinating. So you just yeah. mentioned <clears throat> that sometimes people use it as sort of a shell game to exalt themselves. The, does the fact that you see that make you popular? <laughs> uh, I would think it might be kind of a controversial thing to to actually notice and say out loud. Mm, I don't know. I mean, I think that most of the poets I know who are real real poets, and I know a lot of them. I mean, American poetry right now is in a very cool place. Oh, my God. So many great poets it right is. now. I, oh. I think that for more or less, people would agree with what I'm saying. I don't. I don't really think it's... I mean, I was sort of talking about that Dead Poet Society image, you know, that I like that movie a lot, by the way. Love anyway, that but, movie. But, but, I mean, it's, you know, but that, I, I don't run into that a lot. I, it's just, it's just, I think that there's a tendency sometimes for people to want to use it to intellectually aggrandize themselves maybe more, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I just find that kind of irritating because 
it's it's contributing to a problem that's and, and in a way it's selfish because I want people to read and like my my poems. Right. You yeah. Know, I don't like it when people do things that make that harder. You know, so in a way it's just it's kind of almost like self interest. <clears throat> I want I want people to read what I wrote and and be with it what's on the page and listen to what I mean and everything and then I, they should take that for what it's worth. If it doesn't interest them, fine. But mm-hmm. but not to miss out on what I'm trying right. to do. And I think that's a question not only for poets but for writers and artists of all kinds, you know. What, what, how do I want to go here? I want to be, people to be able to get it, get this message out to as many people as I can, or do I want to have it only for a select well, few? Well, here's my thing. If you had something really important to say, why would you hide it? Exactly. That's what I do not understand. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to be uh, blithe or, or, right. or dim-witted, but it's like why if you really, really cared about what you were saying and really wanted people – or, or you could say – or if you really wanted people to have an experience through your words, if it's not about <coughs> a message or whatever, why would you obfuscate it? It's just I, – I, I say this to my students all the time. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It's like – I mean I'm stunned into kind of – That like must be really thing. refreshing for them. But I, I also think you use the example in the book of Ezra Pound. Mm-hmm. And it's easy – I mean in one way it's labyrinthine and it's – crazy and it's mm. associative in a way that's for mad scholars. But in another way, you can just read it and enjoy it. Sure. Um, or or maybe it was um, – was it Ezra Pound you were talking about? I talked way? about – I did talk a little or, bit about Pound, but I also talked more about Elliot. Elliot, is, that's, yeah. it's mm-hmm. the wasteland I'm thinking of. But but in both cases, I mean, Ezra Pound is maybe a little too extreme. But, but the wasteland, you can just read it and yeah. enjoy it. Well, and I, I'm not trying to say that – I mean, there is a great – uh, deal of poetry or, or a large body of work that is complex and difficult and um, and you know uh, obscure maybe is a word you could use for it or just elusive and or alienating even in mm-hmm. a way when you mm-hmm. look at it and there's nothing wrong with that artists should do what they need to do right but I what I don't like is when people do that when it doesn't feel necessary to me if it if I look at a piece of, of, of writing and it's complex or difficult, and I feel like the writer is that is the only way the writer can mm-hmm. create the effect mm-hmm. that she or he needs to create, then by all means. You know, <clears throat> but if it's just obfuscating some simple point, and the only point of doing so is just to mystify people, that is not an interesting artistic experience for me as, as, a, as a reader. And I think we could probably generalize that across a lot of different human well, activities. You oh, know? for sure. But of course, in that, you know, and it's a matter of opinion, too. I mean, one person can say, no, no, I get why this person's doing it. Another person could disagree. And that, that'd be an interesting conversation to have. But, well, and you know. <clears throat> early in the book, you, you make it very clear that not only are you trying to remove the, you know, the entry code from reading poetry, but you also want to stress its importance. And the fact that you want to make it more accessible, if it's important, that makes it work for more people. I'm wondering, I want to go a little biographical here. Um, So you sailed blithely through your young life without ever knowing that there was poetry waiting for you at the end of it. (laughs) For the most part, yeah. (laughs) Like most young American men. Uh, It wasn't until you were 24? Maybe a little younger. A little younger, but in a graduate program for Russian and Slavic studies? Uh, Slavic languages and literature. Slavic languages. At Cal Berkeley. At Berkeley. uh, You kind of had the aha moment. Yeah, I'd written a, a, poems a little bit here and there, but I was sort of I thought of myself more as a musician or a song not a songwriter really, but but I played music. Okay. So, I mean I'd so, like to talk about that too. Yeah, me so too. I, I, I was I wouldn't say that I mean 
I think I wanted to be a writer. I know I wanted to be a writer, mm -hmm. but I hadn't really written anything. And so I, and I talk about this in the book, but I mean, when I really finally decided to do that, I just sat down and wrote every day. And what I wrote was so poems. Great. And it was so strange that that's what happened because it wasn't really, you know, I never would have said that that was my favorite thing to read or that I, you know, I just, but it's, I guess I was drawn to it in some kind of way that was secret to myself. You know? What's the difference between songwriting and poetry? Oh, nice. I mean, that's a real living question in the world right now, I it would is. say, with the Nobel Prize. And oh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I have a kind of stupid answer to that, which is oh, that please. songs... There are no stupid have answers. Oh, wait. <laughs> music with them, and the poems don't. Um, I. That's a good answer. It's... it's I wrote a little bit about this for something else one time, but I think that one of the things that gives poems a lot of powers, they take place against the background of silence. Mm. Silence is such a part of the experience of reading poems, and poems enter into silence, and there's and that's why the spaces and the, the white space or the line breaks or the or the stanza breaks and are, are, are of, of of poems are so much a part of their their effect. And songwriting is different. It's 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 difficult to write songs because you have to make the words work with whatever the musical context is, mm -hmm. and that's a very complex interaction. That is, and so the people who write <clears throat> lyrics for songs have this incredible ability to to make those <clears throat> pretty disparate things work. I mean, music and words are not the same thing, but somehow to create a hybrid that works and or. or those two things working against each other and tension and with each other. And so, and that's just not really uh, the same as writing poems. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's, I'm not saying that there's no relation between the two, but there's, it's, it's, I mean, it's not that you can, I mean, there aren't that many really great poets who are also really good songwriters and vice versa. It's actually pretty unusual, I would say. So. And also, I mean, when you started writing poetry, I mean, writing music maybe not writing, but performing, it's a collaborative effort. Right. So it had to be a pretty big switch there. Yeah, I mean, I love being in a band. It's mm -hmm. great. I mean, it's so fun, and I love it. So and, and I also like being... Um, uh, I liked the idea of helping of, of helping someone else realize their vision or almost like... and letting them be the boss. I mean, I always say, like, bands are not democracies. They're dictatorships. And they should be because there's one person who's the songwriter. I mean, sometimes it can be more than one person. Mm -hmm. and, 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 there and are, look there what are happens. Exceptions. Yeah, it's difficult. Yeah. But, mm -hmm. but you know, the band that I'm in, I mean, I play with this guy who's a genius songwriter, and I don't, and I do what he wants. And if he doesn't like what I do, I do something different, and I do it until he's happy with it. And that's, and not, I mean, he's very. Gentle Isn't there something very song. satisfying in that? Oh my god, I love it. I know, I would too. I, love it. I, I think like maybe that. Maybe it's too, a little too revealing, like how much I like. It. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> I'm told what to do, um, but but in palms, it's completely different, of course. And so that's a that's a very that's a completely solitary yeah. endeavor, and 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 that's a different kind of buzz that I love. But it's it's nice to have both in your life, or for me to have both in my life. I <laughs> mm -hmm. guess I'm actually sort of surprised here that you were already playing music, though, because in the book you describe yourself. You, you almost sound blindsided by poetry because you said, "I'm not an artistic guy." Where'd this come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was in a band. I was in a crappy band. I was living here in San me Francisco. Too. Yeah, weren't we all? <laughs> yeah, I was. In, I, I mean, I was in a band with some great musicians, including mm -hmm. my brother. But the band itself was 
Well, I don't even know if it was crappy or not. It was just, it was it was more or less unlistenable, but it was it was you know, um, but uh, but it was interesting to play music with those people, and I learned a lot. But um, so I but I wasn't writing songs. I was I was actually I played bass in that band, but um, yeah, it was only later after I started writing poetry that I that I joined or formed this other band that I've been in for a long time, and that was so so already at that point I was in a different space in my artistic life. Did you ever go through the angry young poet phase? No, because I wasn't because I didn't write poetry when I was younger. That's why I'm wondering. I, mean, I was angry when I was young. But <laughs> <laughs> you never. I knew you know in, in my twenties. I knew I knew a lot of these guys in the black leather jackets. You know, in the bar, writing on the back of a napkin. And I'm wondering if you, having managed to skip that and kind of the ridiculous of that, of that, has made it possible for you to look at poetry in this level-headed way, where you're not like, no, these are my innermost important thoughts coming forth, and they must be inaccessible and so beautiful. Yeah. That's an interesting. That's an interesting. You skipped theory. the whole maybe, step. Well, I probably was just working those things out in other equally annoying ways that didn't have to do with poetry. You know, so I mean, it's but it's fortunate there's badly. no track record. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. I was exactly. I was behaving badly in that way, just in different forms. But but poetry for me was never about expressing my personal feelings. It just wasn't. I never. And I actually do. Well, would argue that more or less great poetry is not. It's there's a great there's a quote that I use at the beginning of the book by Virginia Woolf. Um, the poet is always our contemporary, mm-hmm. and I thought so much about that. It's from a great. Um, it's from a talk she gave to school to, to school aged kids called um, "How Should One Read a Book?" I think that's the title. And it's oh, such a good, good title too. talk. And so she goes through all the different genres and sort of explaining the difference between fiction and you know the novel and the short story. She and it's beautiful. It's this amazing, loose, completely lucid. You know, description of all these different things, but at some point she starts talking about poetry, and she says that about, you know, poets. The poet is always our contemporary, and I thought a lot about that. And I think what that means is is that there's a kind of eternal nature to human experience that is that is in a way abstracted from the individual person's experience, and in a way even abstracted out of time, so that you can. That's why you can relate to poems that were written 200 or 300 or 500 mm-hmm. years ago in a totally different culture, because there's something common about the human mind and that's always what I was interested in mm-hmm. I wasn't and it doesn't mean that the I mean the weird the totally crazy thing about poems is that in a way the more specific they are the more they get to that space completely it's so it's such a paradox I mean the very abstract kind of bland poem actually doesn't I think that is often hard to connect to it's something about the specifics of the poem paradoxically make it easier to connect to it even though you're a different person that's a that's a kind of mystery to me why that is. But, it's you know. like that with all writing, I think. Yeah, maybe even all art. You yeah, know, it's, I it's, think it's mm-hmm. such a weird. It's it's the humanness comes out in the particulars, but somehow the more particular it is, the more I think that's Aristotle. It Aristotle, I think. Yeah, that the universal is in the particular. Right, I right. Think. I know, it and it's this. It, right, that's true. I didn't even think of that. Check like, out funny, BQ I, with the classics. Nice job, because I do, I, do, I do write a little bit about Aristotle, but I didn't even think of that. That's, God, second edition. <laughs> <laughs> Next time. How, many, how often do you get these emotion-packed young people in your classes, though? How do you deal with them? Because well, it seems like that's what's fed to us. You know, this is what a poet is. So I teach, mostly I teach graduate students and by that point... They've been ironed out. Well, yeah, beaten down by... No, most of them are... Um, have a little bit more of a, of a sophisticated understanding of what poems can do. I mean, they've read enough poetry, been through... So they're not usually those... So here's what I want to know. What you know, are they reading? 
Mm. What are they like? It's really strange because a lot of them haven't read a lot, and maybe they've read a few things, either maybe something by their teachers or something regional, like if someone's from a certain part of the world, mm-hmm. like they'll read the poet that's famous in that place, like, you know, Richard Hugo. I was just going to say that. I was just right. thinking that, and too. I, you and you know you, a lot about this stuff. And when you yeah. uh, reference The Triggering Town, I've given that book to so many Isn't people. That a great book? And so few people know about it. It's a great it's book. It's so good. Just Everyone. Montana. It's the whole Northwest. Right, yeah. the whole Northwest. Yes. That's right. But he's a, he's a demigod yeah. in Right, but Montana. I'm just sort of using that as an example. Somebody maybe maybe might have read that if they're from there. But that was definitely for me. I read Richard Hugo. I read a lot of Montana writers and poets when I was young. But I wonder sometimes about young people now. I think of, well, maybe young, young to me. Some of the poets I like to read the most, Natalie Diaz and Matthew and Michael Dickman, come to mind. You know, they came up at a time when rap and hip-hop was bigger than it was when I was young. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder if having a different pop culture relationship with words and with that kind of lyric facility may have created a kind of mini renaissance in American poetry. Yeah. I have no basis. You know, I have this. this. <laughs> no, I think that's 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 true um, and makes sense. But I, I think maybe even weirdly, and I've, I've, I, this could be totally wrong, by the way. I'm just going to say this. Um, usually doesn't stop me. But, um, well, but, um, me either. Stop but the, no. I think, I mean, I hate the internet. Basically, like, and I, it's, and I hate it on a personal level. I wish you could all see of, Larry right because now. Because of what, because of how it sucks I have my life away. And, me too. And oh. Emails and yes. and, and it makes and me, stuff. it makes us crappy readers too. And I'm totally responsible for it. I could mm-hmm. totally not do it, but I do it anyway. So, but, but what I'm getting readers. at is that the the amount of text that mm-hmm. our interaction with text oh. with language. Even at whatever level. I mean, people can say, oh, text messages or whatever are such a low level. But just the daily interaction with written words is at a much, I would would bet, is just time-wise. There's so much more of that for kids who are who wow. are 20 years younger than than me than there was when we because like, we talked like to you each think other about, we, you know, we're all about the same age yeah. we call the phone yeah. we talk to our friends we, and that's all great and we can we can sort of you know just justifiably sentimentalize that and say that that was amazing <laughs> but what's interesting now is just the volume of of language that 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 people are dealing with is is in, immense and i wonder whether for some people for a minority of people that was didn't lead to a kind of fascination with it. That is so interesting. To it, this could be like I'm saying. I could be. I have no evidence for any of this, but I'm just like I've. I've but the about way that the way the internet and this kind of um, uh, phones and the internet, et cetera, mm. is bad for poetry is in readership because it requires, I think, reading poetry a kind of attention that is hard to cultivate now, yeah. even for myself. I think that's true. I could. I, I agree with that completely, and I would also say uh, the, on the flip side of it. It's also true that the difference between reading a poem and all the other things we do is so dramatic that if you if you realize that, then it becomes such a, even more of a precious thing than maybe it was before mm-hmm. to read poems. So mm-hmm. I think there's a, there's a pro and a con, like a kind of, you know, it's it's once you get somebody to read a poem or to, or to get the buzz right. of that experience, they realize they can go to that place and it completely blocks out. All this other buzz of, of you know this noise of life and so well sort of piggybacking on what you're saying <clears throat> it actually seems like it'd be easier to get people to read poetry now because there's fewer words you mm-hmm. know and yeah and and they're visual you know when people are texting 
Yeah. I was wondering what you thought of this as a poet who looks at words in a visual way. I mean, I, get, I go crazy when people send me a text with the letter U. <laughs> I hate that. But it may not bother you. You might think that's really, a, oh. you know, a really interesting way to... I don't have big thoughts about that. I, 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 I've become very, um, you know, as a, as a professor, I mean, I have my, my relationship to uh, how people choose to use language has changed a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, whereas five years ago or so, I might have completely cringed at a person using, you know, the, the third person plural pronoun in the singular. And now I think, you know, oh, well. who am I to yeah. say, it's, yeah, you it's know, like, 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 I'm just not going to be the guy yeah. who's like, yeah. oh, damn it, that's so agrammatical. You know, it's like, I mean, that's not as important. My, yeah. my fuddy-duddy thing is not as important yeah. as somebody feeling like, <laughs> like as realized as possible yeah. as a human being. So, yeah. so I'm kind of, my, my, <laughs> well my, my, my feeling about that is generally, you know, I'm old. Well, sure. So, yeah, so, definitely. so I'm, like, I'm not going to hassle. But, but doesn't yeah, mean I can quietly see you, though, doesn't really when bother I see it. Me. The, the, the K? Hey, K I use because I'm like K's driving. Fine. Like, I'm Actually, I just learned when I started Uh-oh. the grotto. He just said he was texting while he drives. Well, oh, you know, you're like, oh, stop the red light. Oh, okay, okay, like, yeah. Can yeah. you pick up the train? Sure. Or whatever. You're like, K. Yeah. You know, whatever, yes, like, okay. uh, I just learned recently that the correct spelling of OK is OK, not OKAY. Oh. What, no Connie one even told knows, us that. Yeah. No one even knows what OK stands for. It stands for something. But he, no one knows what. No, literally, no one knows. Connie what does. No. Oh, she no doesn't. No one knows. Shoot. You know what my favorite is literally incorrectly. Is? We're really drifting off here. Yeah. That's right. Oh, there's Harry no such S. Thing. Truman. Yeah. His middle name is S. Oh, I've heard that. <laughs> and there's no period. No after period. It. I've heard I that love before. That. I know. I, I feel it's like the awesome. best pedant in the world when I correct you about that. But actually, there's no period after the S. There's also no period after Ms. Oh really? Yes. Really? Not not a not a not salutation a, that people really into lately. I know it used to be more of a thing. Yeah, but I like it. I think it's elegant. Mi- I do yeah. too. It's so simple. I maybe love Miz. Maybe I should be called Miz. I will know. call you that if you'd like. <laughs> uh, but uh, it has become that people put a period there, but it is not short for anything. Uh, it's not supposed <clears throat> to have a period there. One more thing about present day communications, and then I want to move on to something relevant. <laughs> <laughs> do you realize if you're it's a teenage relevant. boy right now and you want to? call up a girl to get a first date, you uh-huh. never have to talk to a parent. There is no risk that you have to talk to a right. parent. You may not even have to that. talk to her. You can just text her. What's up? I remember that. Dude, that not even that. Bad? You guys can like have – you can be Skyping pictures. You can I, be, do you have anything. any idea how much more active I would have been if I didn't have to call people? Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I think I would have found a way to somehow not get dates. To freak anyway. out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what if she doesn't respond? Seem to be a genius at, at not getting dates. I so. think about just from the opposite perspective, how many dudes would have been bugging you? Yeah. Like, yeah. especially oh, in college. I mean, seen, oh know, my I've, god. I, yeah, I'm just. Yeah, that's gross. The text messages are <laughs> yeah. gross. Episode. Yeah, it is. Yeah. We just watched yeah. that show that your nephew worked on. Thirteen Reasons Why. Thirteen Reasons oh. Why. Sam Hoyland. <clears throat> it's a high oh, school God. series, but. I didn't think ever about how awful high school would have been with cell phones until I watched it. I'm like, holy cow, if someone does one thing, everybody knows within minutes. I got that to look forward to. I know. Enjoy I, it. I, yeah. I do think. Because there's really nothing at all terrifying you're at, about you're having at, a high you're school at a new age frontier child or a college yeah, age child. With child rearing. Um, It'll all be fine. I want you to know. Thank you for You guys keep talking. It's going to be awesome, yeah, actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, we should talk about the grotto a little bit too. Yeah, let's I'm do happy that. to talk about poems at all. No, no, no. That's thank you for the segue. Um, let's talk about the grotto. Yeah. Are you so? Are you an emeritus member now? I am emeritus. How long were you here? That means you're old. I'm. Yeah, we know that already. <laughs> well, I actually, you're I younger. think we're the same age. <laughs> I'm the oldest person in this pod. Um, pod. Really? Pod. You think you're the oldest in this 
broom really? closet? Okay. Yes, I'm I am. Not sure, that's true. Well, I know how old you like are because you have the longest Wikipedia entry of anyone who's ever been in the grotto pod. Really? Yes. I don't know sure if I've ever looked at my Wikipedia entry. Well, it could be wrong then. <laughs> yeah. I don't <laughs> think you don't make your own entry, right? No, you're not allowed no. to make your own entry. I don't no. Even know how you do that, that makes sense. I don't either. Um, but I will say that when I first came to the grotto, which was I think six or seven years ago, Matthew, I think through a party. At the grotto, probably cool. And no, I did a party myself personally. Well, I, well, maybe you sent out the email. Oh, and um, I should. I, I wonder if this is okay to say. It's okay. I don't it was know. on the roof. Is oh yeah, okay I was not responsible for that, okay. but I was there. I was there, and I remember you guys <laughs> got roof? trouble when you were talking to Paul and Ethan about that. Oh, was it me that was talking to him? I don't know. Yeah, yeah when they were on the podcast, and they were, and they were. Oh, uh, oh. They, and, they, and they wiggled out of saying. Oh right. Okay. So now I've said it twice. I'm going to be in trouble. But nice I want you to know that. I think, but there's a picture of me with you on the roof oh, really? that someone took that I have, and I had this moment of transcendent happiness that I was on the roof talking to a poet in San Francisco. I just felt like <laughs> everything will be okay. Oh my god! Because wow. this is so That's awesome. Great. I feel so. <laughs> it was like, really an important sort of moment in moment. my. Yeah. It, it was. <laughs> it was so. That was a fun you know, party. Well, it was I, very fun. I was just thinking because you know I listen, to, I enjoy listening to these podcasts. And I listen to all of them, and oh they're very, it's great. Fantastic. It's kind of cool. it's a sort of <coughs> way I have of kind of keeping my mm-hmm. connection with keeping the grotto, and, and also reading. I love reading the emails where people like and seeing the periodic complaining <laughs> about the compost or like, awesome. can I borrow I a phone charger? It's like I'm really. It's it feels like my virtual clean out the refrigerator. When I, came, when I moved back to San Francisco in 2009, um, I emailed Steve Elliott. Was at the grotto, and I kind of barely knew him. Or, and uh, I just asked if there were any offices, and then I kind of and he connected me with I can't remember who, but but basically what happened is I started subletting offices mm. here, and it was such a different space then. I mean, there were maybe, I mean, there was, was it so in many this few, building it was or in this building? But it was it was it was the vibe of it was different because it was it was right. there were only single offices, and 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 there were so many fewer people here, and so it took year. I mean, mm-hmm. you would like I sublet rooms for I, I want to say at least a year before I even applied before mm-hmm. an office even opened up like, mm-hmm. so it was a much it was a much sleepier like like kind of quieter vibe in here and then over the time I was at the grotto it just it, it you know and I know you talked about this with Paul and Ethan but the um, the situation changed in terms of the needs of this of the of the organization and right. so but yeah it was it was it, it so I was here spanning that time from mm-hmm. when it was it was a smaller place like that to now this you know this community this incredibly active community how many members now i think over a hundred over a hundred but but that includes emeritus people not people who are coming in all the time the the grotto was a huge part of this book because i started working on this prose book when i was here and i was also finished you know writing poems and and writing many of the poems in my last two books were written here at the grotto or like often walking Back and forth, we had an apartment at North Beach, and so the, the this oh, area is part of the life. Good. Man, that sounds you know, good. Back in the day, uh, but um, so so you know that the, what, so coming down here again, I was thinking, oh, this this yeah. I remember this this area and this space, this physical space, and beginning and how many poems I wrote, but also I started writing the why poetry here, and it was really helpful to have all these prose writers around who knew what yeah. was going on. Mm-hmm. I was asked, constantly asked people's advice and so many conversations with different people uh, about both the writing of the book and also, you know, the kind of uh, more commercial aspects of it. I mean, I had never pu- I never published in the New York house before and I hadn't, had never had an agent and never 
on the right. Oh yeah. So all that was new to me, and so I was able to. It was great because I could ask, you know, Connie or Carolyn or Poe or Ethan or all like all these folks. I mean, I'm, you know, there's many, many other people I had conversations with about, you know, what to do basically. Like, what's how do you decide, and what do you do? You know, and that is great. it's like the having like thing. specialized living Google. It was amazing. It, it is it was incredible resource, and also just. I mean, just how to make a book of prose. It was completely clueless. And it That's was, so interesting yeah. so because I, I would be ask, at the know, same place with poetry. Yeah. yeah. Right? That it, that it is a mystery. If, yeah. you, if you aren't doing it, it's a mystery. <laughs> no, it just occurs to me. Even like, even, you know, using Scrivener, which I didn't, which was became a big thing in the writing of the book because I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't, at some point someone said to me, you know, you know, you can't write this whole book in Microsoft Word. You realize that, right? I mean, you can't write an eighty thousand word book. I was like, you can't. I don't know why not. You know, I mean, I'm sure you could, but like, it just—it's harder. It, it just and then, well. And then I went there into someone's office. To too. It was Heather's office, and she showed me Scrivener. She was like, "Yeah." I was like, "Oh yeah." I, guess I remember this. Why would I know this? It must know, have been. Maybe. It must have been an email exchange at some point. Maybe yes. Yeah. So, Heather Donahue. We should say. Yeah, we should say last Heather name Donahue. so in case yeah. people so want people to get their books. Yeah. yeah. So she. So anyway, but I was just thinking about how how grateful I am to, to the grotto for the, you know, for the, because it was just, and just being around prose writers. But it was funny to be the only poet here, pretty much the only poet here. When I, when I was here, I was the only poet here. There are poets. There are, there are more, yeah. but at the time, um, I was... I yeah, was, you were the one that I knew, and I... It like seems pretty journalist-heavy lately. Well, yeah. journalists can afford offices. That's true. Poets, that's Speaking of which, and commercial issues, before we were kind of winding up here, but I did want to ask, because this sort of question has been burning at me since I heard you were going to be on. So when you decided, all right, I'm going to be a poet, I can't help but be a poet, was there a part of you that went, oh, I'm going to be poor forever? <laughs> I mean, because you have to think of these things when you make these decisions. How am I going to make this work as a way to make a living, raise a family? How am I going to do this? Yeah, but I mean, I was 20. I was in my early 20s, so I didn't – I wasn't thinking about that kind of thing. I mean, I wasn't – I just – I would have – that didn't seem any dumber or riskier than any of my other plans. And so I just wasn't the kind of person who <laughs> like the band, yeah, or like I whatever guess, yeah. I was going to do. The decision wasn't stockbroker or a poet. Well, I had lived for, and also, I mean, I was immature in many ways. I think just like most mm-hmm. dudes in their early twenties are, but in some kind of way, I, I, ways I've been around because I lived for a year in the Soviet Union. Mm. Um, after I graduated from college, I lived for a year in Moscow. In Moscow, so I had seen some things and some ways that the people lived that. I saw what it looked like to live in a really, really messed up part mm-hmm. of the world and, like, really, ha- really have, like, real problems, basically. And so for me, coming back to the States, I mean, in a way, it seemed like, I mean, what's the worst thing going to happen? I'm going to have a job, right. working somewhere, I'll, like, freelance, right, you know. And also the economy was so different then that you didn't, yeah. I don't think, I think my students who are who are in their early 20s, their economic fear is different it's just it's just the, an intensity that was not the case for I don't know if you all can remember. Well, I mean, well, they I just have a lot more debt, I think. Than well, I think there's also way more hoops to jump through to do yeah. anything now yeah, yeah, than there yeah, used yeah, to yeah. be. I mean, it seemed hard when I was in my twenties, but not like I wasn't scared. I figured, oh, mm. no matter what, I mean, the worst thing that happens is I'll go work for some corporation and make you know money. I mean, I didn't exactly, I, but I don't know that even people can think that now. Like they're too no. scared. Of, I did notice yeah. that you refer to Wallace Stevens as poet and insurance broker. Was it or insurance salesman? Oh, he was yeah. an insurance executive. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a lawyer by training, but he was an insurance. 
I loved the picture that you painted of your dad, uh, you know, playing guitar in his off time or downtime. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's well, really that was nice. a weird thing that happened with the book, too, is that it became um, a lot about my dad, who passed away about 10 years ago. And um, I, you know, of course, I, I mentioned him. It was funny when I gave the book to my editor. Um, she said, you know, she read it and she said, well, you know, the, the the three main subjects of the book, I think, work really well together. I was like, three main subjects yeah, of the book. They, yeah. And she said, you know, well, there's poetry itself, and then there's your life, and then, of course, there's your father. And I thought, my father? Like, what? That's one of the main subjects of the book. <laughs> that's that's fantastic. And then yeah. I went back and looked at it, and I thought, oh, no, there is so yeah. much in there about him. And, and, and I didn't even know that when I was writing it. And it was... It was, and you know, I'm happy about that because they gave me yeah. a chance to, to, you know, it's very obviously sad too because there's a lot of melancholy in mm-hmm. the, and in a way, I mean, I, I, I didn't want to talk about this in the book too much, but it is true that, you know, this is this is the conversation I would have wanted to have with him, mm. and so oh, there's a kind nice. of sadness in that way to me about the book, but also, you know, I mean, that's, you know, part of missing somebody, obviously, but I, but I, but I thought to myself as I was writing the book, you know. I would have liked to run all this by him and hear what he thought because he because he was a really 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 smart mm-hmm. guy who was a very sensitive soul who also didn't have a kind of natural ease with things like poetry so would have been and raised cool. but raised three artistic kids <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we we were talking about uh, you say somewhere in the book that you didn't come from art, an artistic family, but. It sounds very artistic. Yeah, I mean, well, not not what I meant. I guess is that the the the, the atmosphere in our house was. Yes. You know, my father was a business. Practical. Was a, was, but my mom did work at the Smithsonian. I mean, that's her. You know, although she, not while we were, she quit her job when when we were little and then went back to it after we went to college. But um, but yeah, no, my but it, I guess in a way it was it was. I think it was more like I would say it's an, it was an intellectual household. Mm. It was a house mm-hmm. that was interested in ideas and and and. And language and things like that. So I wouldn't say it was like a bohemian household. But I it was, got it. it was, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, but mm-hmm. anyway. This is the part of the podcast where I go over my notes one more time to see if there's anything that I left out because we're coming up on an hour. That's okay. the perfect amount of time. And you can always tell when we come up around an hour in the Grotto Pod because the temperature rises to at 103. I know. I'm, I'm feeling a little woozy. How are I'm you? Schmitzy in here. I'm, yeah. I'm a little schmitzy in here. You look fine. You look like cool, good. dry. Oh, my goodness. I I Although I am enjoying the fact that the Grotto Pod right now is 67% neurotic Jewish guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're less than and 1% of the population. And 33% fabulous. Yeah, that's, there you go. All right, that's right. Okay. Let's wrap it up. Matthew, thank you for being on the Grotto Pod. I know. Thank oh, you so much pleasure. for coming. I loved it. The book is Why Poetry. How can people get a hold of you? You can follow me on Twitter, which is under my name, or you can look at me on Facebook, or you can go to my website. Your website is at? MatthewZapruder.com. Oh, oh see, easy. nobody else Jeez. had his name. Well, it's because his last name's not Smith. Right. Um, <laughs> if you Outro. want to uh, <laughs> find me, you can follow me at that Larry Rosen, uh, or you can listen to my other podcast, Is It Good for the Jews? We can be found at? At org slash grottopod. Oh, oh I might have cut you off there. That's okay. Twitter is at the grottopod. There, yeah. I did my part. And, <laughs> so anyways. and Larry, I want to give a little shout out to all the people that make this podcast possible.